You are now listening to The Big Data Beard. In this episode of The Big Data Beard podcast, you're in for something a little bit different. We partnered with the team from Data Science Salon to bring you a Women in Data Science panel. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Randy Ludwig. I'm a data scientist here at Dell. Uh, we're here bringing you the Data Science Salon Elevate panel brought to you by Big Data Beard and formulated by. Super glad to have all of you guys uh, here with us today. Uh, I'm going to give us a chance to introduce our panelists before we get going. Great. Hi, um, I'm Mo Johnson, and I'm a data ethicist at Data for Democracy, which is a collective of data scientists trying to do uh, good in the world in, in both you know social good ways and ethical ways. Uh, and I'm really excited to be here. Awesome. Um, hi, my name is Eunice, and I'm the founder and CEO of Data Geek, an online marketplace that helps um, enterprise connect um, with data scientists. Um, our whole goal was um, AI is growing, and um, it's it doesn't just have to be with the big guys, like the bigger companies. Um, every small company is going to have access to data centers as well. That's awesome. Hi, my name is Hillary Green Lerman, and I'm a senior curriculum lead at Data Camp. Uh, we teach people data science, and I design our curriculum, uh, manage its development, and sometimes even get to teach it myself. Awesome. So we're here today to talk about um, women in tech and particularly how that uh is with regard to data science and conferences and stuff. Since we've been at Data Science Salon here in Austin at uh, the Dell headquarters all day for the last two days, I want to start by asking you guys, uh, what do you think about um, women in tech events versus just general tech conferences and things like that? The Data Science Salon conference has been for everybody, but they do a lot of inclusion stuff as well. So what are your thoughts on like how those are different and what your preferences are, I guess? Well, I'll go ahead and start. Um, so I have actually been to a lot of like just general everybody inclusive, um, tech conferences. And I've also been to like very, um, women focused. Hey, this conference is specifically for women because we believe that most women have been underrepresented in the tech world. Um, and what I've realized from those of, the difference between those conferences is like usually like the women focused conferences are just like so like women empowerment and and very focused on like you might be a woman you might be a minority but you can do it right yes. and i feel like there's a good emphasis like every single time i've gone to a women only conference i feel like man like there's just this vibe out of everything there's a hype there's a lot of energy everybody's super happy and most women want to help other women um and i've actually found most of those conferences super valuable than just going to a very generic tech conference um which most of the time i'm a minority compared to like going to a conference where i'm actually being celebrated yeah yeah what about you guys? Yeah, so I think um, I've I've gotten into or I've been involved in data ethics now for about the past year and a half, two years, mm -hmm. and so most of the conferences I've been to recently have been data ethics conferences, um, which haven't been woman focused. But when you bring ethics into the picture, all of a sudden, you most of the people attending already have that kind of capacity built around discussing gender and race and socioeconomic inequalities and things like that in relationship to tech. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so that's been exciting to see that in a in an environment 
environment that isn't necessarily woman focused, but still where women's voices are very much shared by default, by design, um, just because the focus is on ethics. That's really cool. Can I have a weird controversial opinion? Absolutely. We welcome all opinions. All right. (laughs) I really love uh, women in tech meetups. I'm less crazy about women in tech conferences just because um, I used to manage analytics teams. And with women in tech conferences, most folks get budget for one conference a year. Mm -hmm. And the, you know, a lot of times women will sort of get pushed into, oh, go to the women in tech conference. And then they don't go to the more generic conference. And a lot of times... The more general conferences are the ones where you gain notoriety and get jobs. So I love meetups for women in tech. I'm like a little more nervous about the the sort of more general ones just because they can sort of box women in sometimes. What about the idea that uh, women in tech conferences – like I, I've heard the, the, the opinion before that um, – you know, people are deciding between what conference mm-hmm. to go to, but they want to go to the more technical one. Mm-hmm. And so, like, whether or not a women's conference can truly be a technical experience, you know, it's about empowerment mm-hmm. and there's that camaraderie and community. But do you feel like, in general, that that sacrifices on the technical front? From, again, like I said, I've been to a women in, in, a women in tech um, conference and that was it, it was during a very precise moment during side by Southwest and I've and I've been to like one day summit of like oh this is specifically for women mm-hmm. and and I've and I felt like again like I said I, I was feeling more of like hey we're women and like we're here we're in tech we need to support each other more than you know what are some new technologies out there what like, I mean very similar to what we experienced here at Data Science alone um, and. Again, I, I, I feel like sometimes you need that. If, if that's all you're going to, then you're probably doing the wrong thing. Um, but if you, like, once a year or once every other time, yeah. going to a women-only conference um, can do good to you because then you meet other women that are willing to help you um, in a lot of aspects that maybe if you just went to a generic conference, you wouldn't feel that way. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Can I ask a data-related question about women in tech conferences? Sure. Or just uh, bringing up the, the, both the points that y'all made and some of the questions you're asking. I'm I'm actually curious if we're looking at um, both like the empowerment piece of being around other women and being able to share those experiences like we're doing now. Right. Um, but then conferences, as you mentioned, are a way to cre- career build mm-hmm. and, and kind of present and get your voices and ideas out. I would be curious if there's a data-driven question of like how many recruiters come to a, a woman-only conference versus a general tech conference, how much the food costs, like little kind of uh, things like that might be interesting. Because I, I remember when I was getting into tech several years ago, I used to do public health. I went to kind of uh, – you know, those like women who code events mm-hmm. and then also generic tech events. And sometimes I noticed that the food was not uh, as expensive at some of those. And it tended to be the only the woman only ones. Um, anyways, that, that's anecdotal. an interesting specific thing. Yeah. yeah. So the women's conferences had cheaper food. This was just woman based meetups. Okay. And this was, again, anecdotal. I didn't do a spreadsheet. It was just and so I, I'm just curious how that goes along with like other things that are you know economic opportunities career advancement right. who do you meet that career makes right i i can i could probably answer to that i'm curious yeah um my experience 
have not been the same. I feel like a lot of the women um, conferences that I've actually gone to are, and again, that empowerment thing is one thing, but a lot of the time, I mean, the food is amazing. <laughs> 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 the food, that, I was like, okay, you can tell women pick this because it was such of a better choice <laughs> than what I'm used to eating. Um, and it had so many focus groups, right? Everything from like career development. If you were trying to become, I mean, you know, get, become your own boss in the tech space, they had a lot of focus group, um, like mentorship. And, and every single thing was like so well put that, you know, you could tell women planned that. Um, compared to just regular conference. I mean, my experience have been a little bit different with like women only conference. I feel like most of them really put work into it because again, women love perfection and just, <laughs> I just put it out there and see how it goes. Well, so that kind of leads me into one of the other things on our list to talk about, which is that like, what are the specific strengths women bring to tech and like, um, stereotypes associated with that? Um, cause you, you know, mentioned several times that you can tell it was planned by a woman and stuff. And so I'm just curious if you wanted to elaborate on that a little bit and get the rest of your thoughts. I'll let both of you guys go. Yeah. I have feelings. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, we actually talked about this. Um, I, I, re I reject the question, what do women bring? Because I think we would never ask, like, what do men bring? Like, what, why do you need a man on your team? Like, we just assume that men inherently have value. And I think we should make those same assumptions about women. And then the other thing, I actually just talked about this, like, I gave a talk earlier, is um, I, I think that saying that women have certain inherent skills really deprives men and women of, of agency to like grow and change and develop new skills, um, to have a growth mindset and to think that um, just because maybe you've been socially conditioned to be really good at communication, um, that doesn't mean that someone else who wasn't conditioned that way because of the gender they were assigned at birth can't develop those skills. Right. So you think that people use it as a way to let people off the hook? Let yeah, I think it hook? takes them either to like push women into like unpaid emotional labor or to like let men off the hook from like developing skills. And like, I also think that it's just important. Like I don't want to have to justify being in the room. It should be self-evident why I should be in the room. Yeah. But it's taken me a really long time to get there. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. I think, I think that's, um, yeah, the question, what, what do women bring or what do men not bring this kind of, I mean, it's also a very binary question right and, and you know i think um Age. and at least like I, I think i hope the tech world is kind of moving beyond kind of what what do men bring what do women bring to like what does anyone bring to the table regardless of you know uh gender um or or gender non-binary is, is i think something that should be brought up in, in tech spaces because um there's a lot of people that have been underrepresented in tech for a long time, not just women. We're just one part of that intersectionality. Um, yeah, and I agree with you. The idea that I default as a woman might bring something like empathy or communication. Well, then if that is really what I'm bringing, value and pay for it more, you know, and <laughs> well, rather than it's an above and beyond skill set. Right, right. Yes. Yeah. So or or say, you know, this costs this much, this adds this much, mm -hmm. because I think fundamentally, you know, like opportunity and, and growth in, in, in our you know current socioeconomic system is tied to how much you get paid often by at least by the company standards, maybe not by your own self values. Yeah. So um, 
I, I was just going to say something really quick. I mean, whether women or a man bring something, I think a diverse opinion in every industry or every aspect of life is very important because um, the way you might think about a specific product might not be the same as I do, right? Or at least me representing a different demographic of like what you're used to. And I think just that, just that simple aspect of, hey, you know, we need to understand how you as a man or you as a female or you as a black person or you are, I mean, like whatever that aspect is, I mean, having a diverse opinion about everything, whether it be in the workforce or even at home or our daily basis life, um, I think that's, that's valuable. So I have a kind of follow up to all of this, which is <laughs> so, okay, women deserve to be there and, and all people deserve to be there no matter what. Uh, but then you bring into the conversation the whole like everything being merit based specifically and people are given different opportunities. What's the advantage of fighting for more different viewpoints? Like if, if, if everybody should just get to be there by default, like what is the reason to have women in the room? What is the reason to have diversity in the room? Well, I think historically, like we're talking about, I think one thing that we should uh, like try to think about is in the future, kind of the ideal scenario might be this. In the past, there have been like great, uh, unfortunate historical biases against groups of people. And so to achieve some type of equity, that sometimes means elevating the voices of people who have not traditionally been there. And, and that includes women, which is why I think we're having a woman in data science panel. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm sure, uh, Regardless if we have like the stereotypically traditional like woman attributes to bring, we've probably all experienced a certain set of uh, challenges that are unique to whatever set of attributes we bring to the table. Um, yeah. So, what about like from a product design perspective? There's a lot of you know anecdotal information on the on the internet about like oh clearly they didn't have any like there's one that i uh, saw not that long ago about um hand soap dispensers right and so they yeah. hadn't tested it with people of color and so it only registered with white skin people with dark skin it <sighs> no. wouldn't dispense the soap right and so there's like product specific things about having different people with different experiences that um actually like makes the functionality different too i'm curious if you guys have any other kind of examples along those lines I mean, I think anything involving AI and the training data sets um, has uh, has had uh, unfortunate uh, blindnesses and biases against um, uh, people of color, women of color, or anybody that isn't does isn't included in the training data set or, or historically. Mm -hmm. So, I had not heard about the soap dispensers, <laughs> but that's fascinating. I have, yeah. And in the early stage of like, you know. Um, facial recognition mm -hmm. and oh, computer. Was, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> we, uh, there was a problem very similar to right. that where you couldn't recognize people of color. Um, crazy. Um, which is why we need more women and more people of colors mm -hmm. <laughs> in the tech space. Yeah. Um, but can you remind me of your question again? <laughs> <I kinda> <laughs> Just if you could think of any other examples that are good I, examples of um, having women non-binary gender specific kind of question for that as, as opposed to a, a race example. Okay. Yeah, I could only think of the facial yeah. one. Yeah. So this isn't women specific, but just given that women tend to have more familial responsibilities, I 
I have a suspicion that sometimes it makes teams more efficient because mm-hmm. women are more likely to ha- just more likely to have a deadline by like, I have to leave home at X time because I have to make dinner or pick my kids up mm-hmm. or walk the dog or whatever. The multitasking efficiency. Yeah. Or even just the idea of like, I don't have time to play ping pong or pin- I was trying to combine ping pong and pinball and that, but like, <laughs> I don't have time to go and stop and do those things. I need to just get things done. Yeah. Um, and that's not really women specific so much as like, caregiver specific but i think that is traditionally like more of a women's thing so kind of rebelling against like the startup bro culture kind of i really hate the startup bro <laughs> culture. i won't work anywhere with with a ping pong table anymore oh, <laughs> oh no. yeah yeah i mean so a specific one that comes up in ethics i think um has been um some of the algorithms that can uh like predict whether or not you're pregnant and mm. the fact that some of the algorithms uh, do not accurately uh, take into account when a woman has a miscarriage. And so a lot of times a woman will be on Facebook feed, she's had um, a miscarriage and she's still getting, um, you know, uh, products related to pregnancy or even after nine months, uh, 10 months, I guess is when a mm-hmm. gestation period is, is um, products related to you should have a newborn by now. And I think those types of blind spots yeah. are much benefited if people are on the team that have been pregnant, so that's even a subset of women that's not always yeah. well represented in, in tech. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess, you know, you kind of already brought this up, Hillary, but like misconceptions about women in tech in the first place and like what, uh, what you know, mis- misconceptions about what women always bring, if you have any specific examples of that. I have a good one. Um, I was I was at a company that had all male leadership, and uh-huh. they, the next position they were hiring was was CFO. And so, you know, some people had kind of been making noise about like we should probably hire a woman for this. And, and folks were saying like, oh, we should hire a woman because you know she she's going to be able to do all the emotional labor. Um, and you know, you don't really expect like emotional labor and CFO to really go <laughs> together. Um, and I think that was a, a big misconception that you could just, you know, any woman in any industry in any position, you could just expect that they would be able to, you know, to do the soft fuzzy work for the whole team. Um, and again, as you said, without any extra pay. Right, right. Absolutely. I want this to now be like a writer on people's contracts. So like, I, you know. I will read your emails for sensitivity and and fairness, but only for, you know, this much extra money. Ten cents per email. Yeah, I like this. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, no, no. I think I mean and I think tying the, the, the pay to a real skill is something that happens in most jobs, right? You know, like if you know Python and R and Julia, you can ask for more money, you know, maybe it just needs to be quantified in a way. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing that I, I get assumed um, as kind of a, a woman brought skill beyond the like the kind of fuzzy stuff is the fact that like um, the idea that kind of extroversion or gregariousness doesn't always associate with analytic skills. So yeah. people will assume, oh, you're really friendly. So you must be doing some really friendly type of task. And I'm like, no, I've, I've done data analytics. And now I really do like complex things and combining, you know, philosophy and and data and other stuff. So um, 
you know, and I think that probably happens not just to women, but anybody who has a certain set of skills that hasn't been traditionally associated with this like yeah. classic, like introverted, um, you know, at a computer typing away. Mm -hmm. um, and the fact that one body can include all those things is something that I think society hasn't, hasn't as a whole, mm -hmm. hasn't yeah. figured one out. One pe person can be more than one thing. Yes. <laughs> Um, I'm not sure if this example is very precise to what you mentioned earlier, but um, not just am I a tech person, I'm an entrepreneur. Um, and I remember at some point last year when I was trying to raise money, um, I had an investor reach out to me. They were starting, a, well, they had been working on a show um, where they will feature different startup founders um, to be pitching about something and then they will put them on the show and hopefully some investors will contact them and eventually invest in them. And I had this um, investor reach out to me on LinkedIn saying, hey, you know, you actually captivated my attention. I would really like for you to be on my show. And But when I looked at the demographics or at least the qualifications of who they were actually accepting on the show, I didn't feel like I was at that station. And that was just my personal opinion, right? I wasn't at... at a VC stage to be able to um, get on his show. And after like a couple of interactions between, and I realized he was really pushy with me, like just going and pitching. I was like, so why did you um, pick me? Like, why are you really insisting that I <laughs> fish yeah. um, on your show? He said, oh, you know, because of the way, you know, like the way he, the sentence he made was like, oh, it's because you, you're, you're a woman and you're black and like, we really have, you've only been having white dudes yeah. <laughs> on the show and we really want you just because you're going to make our show look a little bit more diverse. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, that's so not nice, but, um, <laughs> I don't really care and I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't Cause go it's not setting you, you up for success. Either. Exactly. Yeah. It was just like, because I would have to like practice on that pitch. Like that's a waste of my time if I know it's not really going anywhere. Yeah. And that's just to like satisfy your, oh, I need a diverse thing right. yeah. um, going on. Um, then it doesn't work out for me. Yeah. Yeah. I also feel that that like tokenization of identity also devalues like the real work that you did yeah. to get to where you are, yeah. you know, and, and that's just frustrating all around. Uh, I'm sorry, you had an experience. <laughs> I know, really, I am. Yeah. No, I mean, like for me, it was just funny, and it, the way I, I, I saw it, it's like you know, if you are only reaching out to me because of like the way I look, yeah. then uh, I most likely won't do it because I'm pretty sure better opportunities are going to come that I actually feel valuable yeah. doing it. So then that brings up a really good follow up question, which is <laughs> that like, okay, if you don't want tokenization in order to pervert to promote diversity, then how do you make it better? Like, what what besides just identifying people of color and women and non-binary people and bringing them in like what else can the community be doing to actually make all of those things work better i can i can go um i like to think of this as i think even women as ourselves right we have i mean just just me and 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 i was looking back at my career and and I went to school and I did mathematics and statistics, right? And if you've gone into any STEM degree and you're a woman, you always realize that most of your classmates, right, are bros. <laughs> um, and then, you know, graduating college and then going into the workforce, I was in the tech space with a bunch of other guys, maybe like one or two women, and we were the the diversity of, of, of the group. And then getting into entrepreneurship, right, and becoming a founder and a CEO and, you know, feeling like, oh, I'm 
people always look at me differently because of the my looks. Again, I'm a woman and I'm black, and I have a strong accent <laughs> to add on top of it. Um, I don't think I would have done that if from the get-go I told myself, you know what, um, I'm not going to think what society think of me or like the labels that society have put on like what I should be doing or a woman should be doing. Right. Um, and I'm going to put myself out there and um, I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to be successful. And I think it, it, it comes internally. as like, I, I made that decision myself of saying, hey, I don't care what society is saying that I'm supposed to be. If I want to be in tech, I'll be in tech. If I want to be an entrepreneur, I'll be an entrepreneur. And most of and I, I've spoken to dozens, like a bunch of women, and I don't feel like they, they maybe now because it's like this women empowerment movement going all around, um, hype going around the place. But most women didn't feel that way, right? And, and even until now, you, when I see a black African data scientist, I saw one today at a conference, yeah. and I was so excited, like, oh my god, we need to have coffee. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't know how you got to this point, but I'm so... And again, I'm excited because I don't see that very often. Yeah, yeah. I, and I want to know what 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 were you thinking? Like, <laughs> And it's a good thing, right? Yeah, like, yeah. I want to know how did you do it? What encouraged you to, to follow that path? Right. And how can we encourage more people like us to do that? And only if we promote that of like, hey, like stop stop looking at what everybody else is saying that you're supposed to be and focus on yourself and like what you actually feel in your mind like hey i want to be an engineer i can be an engineer no matter what and then go for it so my for me it's more about like the mindset and like your internal self okay um and there's so many other organizations that are supporting women um to go out there and like be whatever they want yeah cool dot tillery um so back to the the tokenization and how to how to prevent it um I think reaching out to organizations rather than to individuals mm-hmm. um, is really helpful. So, like, if, if you think that you want a woman, you know, reach out to Society of Women Engineers or Women in Machine Learning. If you want someone of color, reach out to, like, Black Girls Code um, and, you know, just be super honest about what you don't know. You know, that, like, you haven't done your research and you don't know the names of a specific person, but you're having a panel and you need someone. Right. Um, another thing is just, like, I think it's constant work. It's you have to do the work of, like – you're going to invite who you know to be on panels and to apply to jobs. And you have to, if you look around and everyone you know looks like you, that's a problem. And it, it's your own responsibility to try to fix that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, I think the other thing too that I think about, um, and this is back to the data ethics work. Um, there are a lot of women, a lot of um, uh, people of color, women of color, non-binary, international members in the data ethics community that I'm a part of. Um, I think that is because it's an important issue. Um, and But it means that once you start thinking about ethics, you already have the capacity to think beyond like who you are. And I think that's something that we can call out to the greater tech world. So it's not just woman, woman of color, or anybody else who's been historically ignored helping build capacity in tech, but rather like uh, demanding that that um, empowerment is, is, is kind of shared. Um, and, and that building of, of the platform for empowerment is shared also by people that have been at the table mm-hmm. for so long. It's interesting. Uh, the idea of the tech ethics community, 
almost being like a shared service for the tech community at large. It's like, okay, you guys have already been thinking about a lot of this stuff from a lot of these angles. Can you just like help us all do it better? Not just with regard to specifically ethics, but also with regard to like the the value of diverse voices and all that sort of thing. I kind of like that. It puts it back into enterprise speak in a way, which makes it then accessible to, you know, business partners and people who might not ordinarily think that way too. So. For sure. I mean, for, for better or worse, aligning, um, it can't be one on one aligned with ethics or with, with, um, but aligning it with business interests sometimes appeals to people who have been thinking that way for a very long time. Yeah. Yeah. So encouragement as a thing came up there, you know, taking, you know, feeling self empowered and, and running with your goals and that sort of thing. I'm curious, um, how much do you guys feel feel like um, you personally were encouraged to be that way versus just kind of inherently are that way as a person? And how important do you think that is into encouraging the next generation into the tech space? <laughs> I can go. Um, so I, I, I really think I, for me, it was more of a self-inheriting. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up in Cameroon in Central Africa, and we grew up saying, if you're a woman, you're supposed to grow up, don't even go to college, get married, have babies, and yeah. that's it for you, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, and my father didn't really, like, say it, but that's the way most of the time, you know, I, I feel like as a woman. But then I, I've always said, you know, when I grow up, I want to be a CEO. And when I went to school and I, 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 I did business, I'm like, this is too easy for me. Let me go and do math. <laughs> um, Slam on all the finance exactly. nerds, business majors. Um, but again, it, it was just, it, I think, it, you know, it, it was just me saying, you know what, I've I've been looking at everybody around me and it seems like, um they are, they are okay being comfortable and I've never been that way. Um I like to challenge myself and um expect the unexpected. And the the way I I think most people are not the same way as I have or like don't follow my path, right? And I think there's a lot of me putting myself out there right now. And I I, I volunteer in like so many different organizations that support um just women or minorities in general, right. especially the younger generation. So people getting out of high school um or entering like the college um sector uh, path of your life and saying hey if you want to get into stem get into stem because here's why it's going to be valuable in the future Mm -hmm. if you want to be a business owner have ideas about starting a company just go for it right because you will never you never know what's going to happen in a month or two or in a year or two you just have to like put yourself out there and most of those rope maps are like never easy they're always like the most challenging but also the most rewarding yeah can't have reward without risk. Yeah. <laughs> I think for me, it really helps that if somebody tells me I can't do something, I just want to prove them wrong. Um, Stick it to them. Yeah. Um, but, and that's been my experience for a long time. Um, but, and this is going to sound really mushy, but then I met my husband and he <laughs> has been so supportive and so encouraging. And it's it's amazing. You can get pretty far by just being like, 
F you, you know, I can, <laughs> you tell me I can't do this. I'm going to do it and do it better. But like, it's wonderful when you actually have someone like telling you like, no, I think you can totally do this. Mm-hmm. Um, it also really helped that he also has imposter syndrome and it's nice to know like, oh, this isn't just a me thing. Like, I think he's amazing and he thinks he's terrible. <laughs> um, so that, that was really helpful to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely extremely admire like the strength and the power that y'all are both bringing to to the stories of how to make it as a woman. And I think that is an incredible thing to to admire and aspire for. But I also try to think about different ways that spaces can be created either through um, mentorship and not just one-on-one mentorship, but that mentorship being able to flourish um, mm-hmm. in, in a particular community or company or school culture. And I think that's... Um, it shouldn't be that everybody has to be like the strongest person in order to succeed. Um, and, and that goes again, not just a uh, woman, but looking at socioeconomic status, looking at what part of the U S you were born, urban versus rural issues. Um, you know, I think being a, a woman in a more rural place is different than being born a woman in a more urban place and being cognizant of, of those, the ways that we can structure, um, empowerment at every stage along a woman's access to education and career mm-hmm. development. And, and I don't know, these are all nice like words. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, how do you do that? And it's probably a lot of people stepping up mm-hmm. on a community wide way. Um, and some people just stepping aside as well. I, I really credit a lot of, um, men and particularly men of color early on in my career of helping, um, me kind of, uh, aspire for the next thing. Um, so nice. Uh, kind of follow up to that in a previous life when I was an educator. So I sympathize a lot with your talking about growth mindset and stuff. I, there was a uh, research on girls in STEM from the late nineties, early two thousands, somewhere in there that was showing that, uh, girls had basically already made the decision not to produce, pursue math and science at fourth grade. Like that's, that's when it's too late. And so I like it's interesting talking about enabling people out of high school and, you know, trying to have programs for people earlier in their careers and stuff. But so much of our context is set by society at such a young age that then, like, how can you do more to to reach people at those different levels? So I, I think, uh, you know, we we had a side conversation before about being able to see yourself in something. Like, how important do you guys think it is to have a role model and be able to envision envision yourself in something versus just like being bull nosed and I'm gonna just drive my way to this thing because it's what I want. And I really love that because um, that was literally like what I was thinking about the whole time. In terms of, I think one of the things that like really helped even up to today in my career is that I have so many like women role models in the tech space, in the entrepreneurship space that I look up to and I was bold enough to reach out to them and say, hey, you know, my name is Eunice. This is what I'm doing. I've been following you for like the past couple of months or years. <laughs> and That's um, amazing that yeah. you just reached out. And it's crazy. Like people actually want to help. Right. I've reached out to like quite a few, in my opinion, very successful women um, in the data science space or in the entrepreneurship. And I'll be like, this is what I'm doing. I'm struggling with this. And it seems like you're doing pretty great at it. Would you mind giving me like 10 minutes of your time or a phone call? Um, and I would love to like, you know, pick up your brain. And a lot of them will say, sure. That's amazing. <laughs> um, so I, and I think, you know, there, there's probably more of that, right? Uh, everything from even telling women like, 
you don't just have to do it do this on your own that actually i mean even myself like if anybody follows me on social media i'm like constantly putting content on how to become a better entrepreneur you know are you a data scientist and you're trying to get into data science hey top five data scientists to follow on LinkedIn, like stuff like that. And I think that usually like those little things. And I, I had a moment during November and December where I was not just free. I was just going through like one of those downsides of my entrepreneurial journey. And I had probably like over 20 messages on Instagram saying, we miss your content. Like oh. your content changed my life. I'm in Nigeria, right? And oh, I've been following amazing. you. Um, why did you stop? Is everything okay? And I'm like, I don't even know I was impacting, you know, that many people, even across the country. But those little things, right? Of like women that have been successful, at least are putting themselves out there and are doing it. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, giving back to the community in any way um, are super helpful for like the next generation. Because sometimes it's easy to say, you know, develop that mindset and just do it on your own. But when you can, you know, you can go to go somewhere and like see other people that are doing very similar. Um, to what you're trying to accomplish and you know you can do it because they were able to do it. Yeah, that is yeah. a game changer. What about you guys? So hitting on what you said about like fourth grade, um, I love giving science and math toys to, to all my like little cousins. Um, one of the most fun things I ever did was uh, my my sort of cousins um girl scout troop uh you can just order a bucket of cow eyeballs on the internet um and we did a cow eye dissection um with her girl scout troop and it was amazing what age uh they were like nine eight nine like right around that fourth grade mark interesting um, how I, I'm, so, not, I'm just trying to imagine how I would have responded at the age they of They all start out with, ew, this is so gross. <laughs> and then by the end, they're like tearing into it because it's one of the best dissections you can do because everything's really, really obvious as opposed to like if you – I was a biochemist in a previous life, so I <laughs> actually think this stuff is really awesome. Um, but it was it was so fun and they were so into it. Um, and like it was, it was just such a visceral way to get them like excited about science. And, you know, you can do – similar less gross things with like programming and math <laughs> there's actually there's a fantastic website it's called something i want to say it's like coding unplugged or something it has all of these coding exercises you can do without computers with like kids and like it is so much fun like they had uh i think we did it with junior high they had a whole exercise on cryptography that you could do with just like drawing and like oh. it was a really it was really cute they basically had these like very simple like ma uh like graphs that gave you encryption interesting it was really cool and it was like i just i i mean i love teaching but i particularly like it is so fun to teach that like fourth grade age before anyone has told them that science and math aren't cool mm -hmm. um and especially that it's like not for girls like it is i like highly recommend like if you can go volunteer with like girl scouts or with a local elementary school it is so much fun yeah yeah yeah, I am. Um, so I want to say a couple things. One, uh, I love the show Grey's Anatomy uh, <laughs> because, well, and, and this is why I think Shonda Rhimes is just an absolute um, narrative genius. And also the characters that she puts mm -hmm. out there are definitely uh, much more diverse than kind of your standard like drama characters. And I will say, calling myself out, that has changed the way that I view um, who can do what 
beyond what I, the images that I myself grew up with. I think the other thing too, talking about woman mentorship, mm -hmm. is that as more and more women have the opportunity and availability to go into tech or science or become a brain surgeon, watch Grey's Anatomy, <laughs> but also there are fewer women at the top. And so if we're going back to earlier in the conversation where you talked about kind of the um, uh, burden on women to kind of capacity build and um, kind of hold some emotional space for the growth of other women in industry, it's I, I think I don't want to re-put the burden on, you know, one woman to be a have to mentor 10 10 other younger women because right. I would want also my, the people above me to be able to continue on with their career and their, you know, in their forties and fifties and not always have to be building up the younger generations. And I think there's, there's a, a huge place to have woman mentorship, but then it has to be shared mm -hmm. so that again, women are also being able to focus on their career rather than kind of emotionally carrying the weight of bringing more and new people into so the field. So you're saying the, the mentorship kind of, rises with you as you go through your career so that you're still mentoring, but you're mentoring like a, a basically a, a skill distance from you. Yes. What I'm saying, yes, I think mentorship should be important, uh, but not that, that we can't ask um, the limited number of women in the career to hold the burden of mentoring all the young women that we right. also need to invite that mm -hmm. to, to other people so that we're not uh, overwhelming uh, people we admire with having to take care of, of younger generations. So bringing in already successful men, other non-binary minority people that are not women to help mentor women, mm -hmm. things like that. Yeah. yeah. And again, it's just going back to the not having to put that full burden mm -hmm. of the entire community on the people yep. that have had to fight the hardest. Yep. Yep. Cool. Um, you mentioned, uh, you're putting out content on Instagram and people missing you when you were gone. And I'm curious about you guys' uh, favorite social media, the things that you learn there, and uh, the anybody you admire that you follow. Instagram, big data girl. <laughs> and girl is G-A-L. She's amazing. She's like one of my favorite data scientist followers and um, tech entrepreneurs as well. I'll admit I haven't actually been on Instagram for tech stuff. I, it's mostly like food and cats and stuff. So I didn't think Instagram was like tech savvy until I met Big Data Girl. Cause like my Instagram was personal before I met her. And as soon as I started following her, I'm like entrepreneur. And then I started changing everything. And like surprisingly, Instagram has been really good for me. That's really cool. Yeah. It's because nobody, everybody is going on LinkedIn, but people forget people also have personal accounts. <laughs> yeah, I love Twitter. I, I think I mostly follow conferences. Um, and on Instagram, I follow uh, women mountain bikers. So, you know, uh, we're talking about women in tech and, and, you know, in mountain biking, it's also a huge disparity. It's what I love to do in my spare time. Um, and so it's it's been really neat to see people doing things that um, traditionally haven't been viewed in the media. So that's really cool. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't social media. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Not at all. I, my dog has an Instagram um, <laughs> that one of, one of my interns set up for him. Um, Benny Lerman, the dog. There you go. <laughs> yeah. But I'm, 
I'm sorry about that. I think my company has a, has an, in, an Instagram or a Twitter. Yeah, yeah, sure. They must. <laughs> Can someone else please pitch my company for me? <laughs> yeah, so Data Camp is on Twitter. I oh, follow good them. Okay, good. good to know. Yeah, I follow them on Instagram and I receive way too many of the sponsorship apps. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Data for Democracy is also on, on Twitter and I think Instagram, but um, I honestly use my social media more for for. Biking. So, okay, cool. Yeah. I, I will make a quick plug. Uh, one of the things that I do really, really appreciate on uh, social media, the data science community in terms of sharing that mentoring and bringing new people into the field and all that stuff, the R community is just so fantastic about that. If you're on Twitter and you follow um, hashtag RStats, they have great educational materials, tons of really, really senior people that engage with newbies in the community and stuff and really are taking on a lot of that mentorship responsibility in a way that I, it's really unique to that community. And um, I've actually had a chat with um, uh, Gabriella and I can't remember her last name, the founder of Our Ladies um, about um, differences between the R community and other, uh, other languages and things in data science. Not Python. Well, this is the, the I'm a Python person myself as well, and so I was like, why not Python? And I we yeah. kind of settled on like the R community is so tightly mm-hmm. knit in with stats and data science, whereas Python is so broad mm-hmm. yeah. that that's why it's yeah. really gelled. But yeah, I've seen I have seen articles that say that R is more like inclusive mm-hmm. than Python, and sometimes I wonder if it's because it's also the academic. I think that's coding language. So, oh, yeah. whoa! You think academics are more inclusive? Interesting. Well, I think they well, document hot take. more. <laughs> They doc- I think they document more, which if you're an early learner, Fair. you yep. have that documentation. I also think it's not necessarily academia broadly because there, there's all sorts of issues we can talk about. Yes. But it's that <laughs> uh, the R community skews towards like social scientists, which skew more female and, I see. you know, and are just generally more aware of diversity and inclusion. I think that's a big – and same thing like – that's statisticians tend to be there. There are a lot of statisticians who are more closely aligned with those fields than with like the you know tech bros. Cool. Yeah, <laughs> but Pi Ladies know, is wonderful too. Yes, Pi Ladies yeah. is absolutely yes. wonderful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's also Women in Data Science, which mm-hmm. I am a organizer for our local meetup here. Mm-hmm. Um, Women in Machine Learning is another mm-hmm. good group. Uh, following conferences is a really great idea because you can get a lot of really cool content that way. Yeah. Um. No follow up no, no. thoughts. I thought I thought we were going into another space. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just wanted to open up to you guys. Is there anything else that you guys want to take a moment to talk about for women in tech in general, and and conversations that you'd like to see the community continue having uh, that uh, we can continue having here in the data science salon elevate space, and then also elsewhere. I have one on hiring. Um, This is like a theory I have is folks talk a lot about like, well, I just want to hire the best person for the job. And I'd really love to see people shift their mindset more towards, you know, there are a group of people who are all very qualified and could do this job. And, you know, who we select from that group will depend on many things. Some of them will be issues of of diversity and inclusion. Mm -hmm. I'd also like to talk about that there is a robot that is filming <laughs> us, um, which is really cool. Um, yeah, just wanted to give a shout out to the little hardworking robot. <laughs> AI for the win. Yeah. 
And talking about AI, I think one thing, these conversations are really important because we're in the um, field right now, tech that is designing the algorithms that make up our future world. And within that, we don't want kind of our, uh, the biases of society to get encoded. We talked about facial recognition and other things, and that would be my, my last thing. Cool. Any thoughts? Um, I'm going to strengthen on her point in terms of hiring. Um, and what we have been focused, I think the way a lot of people have been looking at diversity or hiring more women or um, other um, demographics um, into the tech industry has just been, um, has not been done the right way. Okay. Um, just because, again, people just say, you know what, like you mentioned right earlier, um, we need more women because everybody hates a guy or we only have one that one woman the um, token. yeah in our company um and usually the way i think we need to figure out you know what would be a better way to approach that that problem because the way people have been approaching it have been really bad and even um going on the company side and saying you know I don't know if there's anybody out there working on a, on that specific problem in terms of, hey, when it comes to diversity, um, there should be a, a way companies to get trained on how to bring or bring in more mm-hmm. diverse demographics. Yeah, especially like inclusivity and in even just job description language. So uh, I, I've seen job descriptions that say, you know, we're looking for the best and the brightest and the top of the field. And like, even language that like that oftentimes excludes women and people of color who like have not been told by society to think of themselves in that way. Um, it's bad for people with imposter syndrome of any variety. Yeah. 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 It, it also, it hires for a very specific personality type that is not necessarily the type you want your entire organization made out of. Um, but yeah, I think like everything from like your job description to who do you put pictures of on your, on your page to, how are you sourcing candidates? Are you really sourcing from the most diverse you know, pool? Like anytime someone tells me like, well, we only had men apply. It's like, well, you did something very wrong then. Um, and also if that's the case, go find women. Right? Yeah, like, exactly. Go, yeah, you guys were saying like reaching out to s- different groups and societies, yeah. trying mm-hmm. to pull mm-hmm. actual applicants rather than just passively receiving yeah. whatever you get. Yeah. And also think about like what, types of interviews you do and are those interviews biased in a certain way mm-hmm. um you know uh asking people to just talk about their accomplishments like that biases towards a very specific personality type who's mm-hmm. comfortable just being like i did this i did this i did this and i've seen um people get knocked off on their interviews for saying well my team did this we did this um which is a very female coded way of, of speaking yeah um I have a kind of follow on on that. There, the words have come up a, co- a couple of different times, but diversity versus inclusion. Um, a lot of this, like talking about hiring, getting people in the door. You don't want just token people around and in the involved in things. But uh, the um, the how do you keep them once they get there? Right? What do what do we need to do to make environments inclusive so that people stay? Uh, and how is that different than just hiring for diversity? I think mentorship will play like a big role into hiring and actually keeping that diverse community of hiring. Um, one of the things that I've seen in companies, and this is even me um, having to have a corporate job in the past, um, usually 
what most of my team or colleagues usually have is like they will have that higher level person right that they can go and talk to if they had issues like that mentorship and if you are a white male in a company like it's easier for you to approach like a single level and be like man like want to play i don't know want to play golf this weekend <laughs> something like but for me it was like if i reach out to him i don't know what i'm gonna say like i'm i don't like playing golf and i don't care much about <laughs> it right um but actually align that like in the company are like really encouraging like hey we really we really want you know to have that diverse um mentorship like i mean if whether you're bringing a woman or you're bringing um a, a person of color like know that hey we have a mentorship support group um that will help you grow your career and to advance and to go to the next level and to get those promotions uh not just like hey we want women and then they come down they're stuck and they don't feel like you know they're actually valuable um i have a very specific follow-on then okay <laughs> So our company, we've been talking, or our uh, team has been talking about doing outings and stuff and people, you know, throw out different ideas. Like if you want a perfectly inclusive event where people who don't want to play golf, right? Yeah. Something else. Mm-hmm. What's the something else? What else do you go out and do? Arcades. Arcades. Interesting. That's been some of like arcades and escape rooms I found are like amazing. Escape room. Good call. Team building. Um, and uh, shout out to like events that don't require alcohol. Yeah, um, yeah, I think that's something a lot of companies fall back on. Like, we'll take everyone out for drinks, um, and there's a lot of ways in which, like, that's not in- it, at the best, it's not inclusive, and at the worst, people aren't always on their best behavior. Maybe go hiking. Oh, that sounds so fun! I'll also just give a plug that for generations we've been having multi generational communities around meals. Um, and that's also just kind of an easy way. Everybody mostly eats, I think. On. <laughs> but <laughs> it's an that, accessible thing. Exactly. And the other thing I'd say too, um, and this is, uh, also like having the events being at a time when childcare hours are available. Um, cause I know that I'll often have friends at a company that have a kid and if their partner isn't able to or a friend or a grandma, and if there's an after work event, they can't join but they might be able to join an event that's scheduled at 3 30 that the company supports that's a good idea yeah. and i think having child care at any you know company outing is a great idea because if you're a parent and you have kids and you want to go and network with uh your co-workers but you have kids you know saying hey we actually do provide child care and that usually is very cheap yeah. the power of those networks is real and so it's important to let everybody participate in them for sure yeah um just going back to what you said about like inclusion, I think what we've all sort of been circling around is like childcare is a huge part of inclusion, like paid maternity leave, paid parental leave, mm-hmm. um, you know, flex time, remote work. Like that's a huge way to get women to stay is just make it tenable to like, because, you know, the way our society is structured right now, women are the ones who, you know, bear most of the burden of child and family and elder care. How do you think remote work plays into that too then? Or work from home? I think remote work is the future. Just saying. Yeah. Um, I think it makes it easier to have like a more flexible schedule um, for for if you need to. um, Obviously, you you cannot be at home and caring for your child while working. Like that doesn't work. But just to have the flexibility to be able to like do daycare pickups and then go back to working from home and not have to like – find a way to like get the kid home and then go back to the office. So it comes back kind of the flex time yeah. thing. Yeah. 
Yeah, and also important, like, you know, even if you don't have kids, being able to schedule that dentist appointment mm -hmm. or a doctor's appointment or whatever, you know, I think I think it's just like a, a healthier uh, work environment. Um, I, I like remote work. Sometimes I feel like um, I often work remote. Uh, there's, uh, it sometimes feels like I have to work harder to prove mm -hmm. that I'm working. So I think a company creating a remote culture too that encourages people that are working remotely to actually just work during the hours or the mm -hmm. requisite number of hours is also important. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So the, how does that play with flex time then though? Um, I think like it's flex time, but it doesn't mean that you're working 10 hours at weird hours. It means you're working eight hours at weird hours or, or whatever, I got or, you it. know, and yeah, in tech yeah. sometimes like obviously everybody works long hours because everybody's <laughs> working hard, but you know, being considerate of, of, of that. But work-life balance is important yeah. with that too. Right. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I wanted to thank all of you for being here. This has been a really great discussion and I definitely, so I met, these fine women this week and I think it's been really great uh, getting to have a chance to get to know you all and, and talk more so um, parting shots anything vodka <laughs> <laughs> thanks for listening to the Big Data Beard podcast if you've enjoyed this women in data science panel and the other content we brought to you from Data Science Salon in Austin well join us at Data Science Salon in New York City on June 13th, 2019. And be sure to use the promo code BDBEARD19 to let them know that the Big Data Beard sent you. The music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. Check him out on iTunes or Spotify.